when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, hello. Welcome back. You're up from Hostage to Hero with Sari Delamont, the attorney whisperer. And today we're talking about resonant conversations. So I want to start by asking you, what do you think of when you hear the word resonant? So resonant is really a musical word, which I love because many of you know that my background is in music. And when we think of resonance, uh, for example, think of resonance in terms of a voice. If someone has a resonant voice, it's a deep, open, vibrant, vibrating sound in someone's voice. So when we're talking about resonant conversations, what we want to really think about is what kind of conversation can we have with jurors that is deep and open and vibrant and really gets at the core of who they are. You know, in the voir dire classes, I use a, a circle diagram where we talk about how we get to the core of who people are. And so, you know, at the middle, the smallest circle is the core. This is what, like, what the people, person will die for, what they care about the most. And then in the out, next outside circle is their values and their beliefs. And the next outside circle is their style, you know, like how, and I don't mean clothing style, but how they like to process information, how they communicate. Uh, the next circle out is their behavior, how they show up in the world. And the circle that's the biggest circle well, the first thing we all tend to notice is appearance, right? So the closer we can get to that core of who people are, the more resonant the communication becomes and the deeper our communication is. And so this is what I've been working a lot with my clients lately on how to get away from surfacey conversations and voir dire and how to drill down and get resonant. I love the example of, uh, or sharing the example of what happened in our last Vaudier class. So as well, I was introducing the concept of resonant conversations and becoming curious about the jurors. We all got in a circle. So there's six attorneys and myself. So there's seven of us. And I asked one of the attorneys to share something about himself that was kind of unique. And so he said, okay, um, I recently did a hundred mile race. And so I said, okay, let's go around the, the circle and let's get curious and ask questions. And so it was very interesting. The first time around the circle, nearly every attorney asked questions like this, which maybe you would ask. Wow, how, was that hard? Um, how long did that take? When did you do this? Was it hot outside? Was it cold outside? Um, did you train? How long was your training for that? And as we got to, around to... Uh, the original attorney who had said the unique thing, I asked the group, I said, what have we found out? Have we found out anything about Brett or have we found out things about the race? <laughs> and what we had found out was about the race, which is not even as interesting as the attorney himself. This is what you guys do in Voidir, is it not? We tend to ask about the experience versus the person who has experienced it. And that is a crucial distinction 
Because the second time we went around the circle in our last Wadier studio, I said, let's play with some deeper questions like, how important was that? Or what's important about that? Or what was that like? Or why did you decide to do this race? And as we started asking the deeper, more resonant questions, the conversation got richer and we found out more about Brett and why he decided to do this race and what it meant to him and what he had to overcome in order to be able to do it. And the conversation suddenly changed. It became a resonant conversation. It was open. It was vibrant. It was deep. That's what we're talking about. Now, let's think about your typical voir dire. So, for example, let's take a car crash. So when a, let's say our, our case is about a car crash, and so we use our contact statement, we say, this case is about a car crash. Who here has ever been in a car crash? And a juror raises their hand. This is what typically happens. So the attorney will say, when was that? Were there other cars involved? Did anyone get hurt? Oh, you did? did you, were you able to recover? Thank you. And that's the end of questioning that particular juror. Now, I ask you again, who did we or what did we find out about? Did we find out about the juror? Did we find out about the crash? Well, you know the answer. We found out about the crash, which is not nearly as interesting to me, especially if I'm there helping you pick a jury, than the juror himself or herself. And here's the problem is that once you do that and you go juror by juror asking about their experience, go back to our last podcast where we talked about how you swirl up in the experiential questions versus getting down to the principle. When you do that, now we're left to guess. We don't have any ideal juror beliefs. We don't know what the juror actually believes about car crashes or anything else. We are left to guess. And this is where all your demographical information comes in. Well, people who are more uh, who are, are more likely to vote for me will probably be male within this age. You know what? That's all fucking guessing. That's all that is. Because we haven't gotten any real information. We've heard they're in a car crash. We heard they got hurt. We heard they recovered. That's all we know. And that's not enough. It's not enough. We have not gone deeper. Now contrast that with using some of the questions that I suggested in my podcast that, that there's only three questions you need to follow up. So those questions again are, tell me about that. What was that like? Or what is that like? And how important is? So if we go into the car crash scenario and they say, yeah, I was in a car crash, we can say, tell me about that. Now, the juror may themselves give us all the experiential information. Well, it was about 10 years ago, um, I crashed into the back of this other car and um, so on and so forth and give you all the information. By the way, the juror giving you that information is so much better than you cross-examining them for that information. Because that's what you do. And I saw it just happen this last time in our Wadir studio. You'll say, when was it? How long ago was that? Was anybody hurt? But Right? You're using these short questions like you're taught to use in cross-exam and the juror is only answering what you've asked them. Contrast that with, oh, you were in a car crash? Tell me about that. And now the juror gets to select what they view as most important and you will get, I'll guarantee you, more rich information when you flip that around on the juror versus interrogating them or cross-examining them. So you say, tell me about that. So they start to tell you about that. And as they start to talk, you start to listen for interesting things. You get curious about what it is they're saying. And you say, wow, what was that like? For example, if they say, and then, you know, I couldn't even get out of the car. I was, I, my leg was pinned. What was that like? Well, it was terrible. I, I felt 
just frightened and and I wasn't sure if I'd ever be able to walk again. Do you see how this is now going to open up your damages argument, especially if you have a leg injury in your case? Yeah, were you able to walk again? You know, thankfully I was. I had to go through a lot of physical therapy and and um, I had a lot of support from my family. Ah, how important is that? Support from your family. Do you see how the conversation starts to change when I get out of the experiential and I start to go drilling down into the principle? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the other episode, the one right before this. Now the conversation becomes resonant because who am I learning about now? I'm learning about the juror. I'm not learning about the crash. I could give a fuck about the crash. And you should too not give a fuck. <laughs> you should care about the juror, the person who experienced it, and what that was like for them and what they found important about that. Because that, my friends, is how we get to resonant conversations. That's how we get to the principles in our case. And then we don't have to guess. Now we start to think, does, or now we start to know whether this juror believes in the things we want them to believe. Maybe we've created our ideal juror profile. Hopefully we have. And on that profile, we want jurors to believe that leg injuries can be really serious, even if you heal from them, that you're never the same again. And mobility is is a big thing in terms of safety and being able to run away from danger. And that the mental component of having to heal from an injury is a big deal. We get that from our jurors. Do you see that? <clears throat> so many people, when they come to our seminars, they especially voir dire, they say, I can't believe how much you mine from jurors. They, can, they give you everything. I said, Yes, they give you everything if you know how to ask and listen. Let them build your damages argument for you. So many of you kind of say, sorry, how can I talk about how important the mental component component of this injury is? I said, you don't talk about it. You get your jurors to talk about it. Because once we get the jurors to talk about it, just let the defense come and try to, to tell them that they're wrong with their own experience. But you guys never go there because you're swirling around talking about the damn car crash instead of the juror who's experienced it. You're not willing to go and have the resonant conversation that talks about the real things in the case. I mean, this is really what we're talking about with the issue-oriented voir dire. It allows us to get started, but then drill down to the experiences and how it felt and what it was like and what's important about that. And we were, t- we were in this Wadir studio a couple weeks ago. Well, I guess it'd be a month or so ago once you hear this podcast. And we were ha- having this great conversation about hearing and how important hearing is. And the, the attorney had a great question. He said, you know, what are some of your favorite things you've ever heard in your life? And it was a resonant question because what did everybody have to do? They thought about the first time they heard their baby cry or the first time they heard their baby say mama or the first time they uh, heard an ice cream truck or whatever it may be. You know, there, that sound was just this visceral thing. Now, that's a very different question than who here has ever experienced hearing loss and how did that happen and did you have to get hearing aids and, um, and um, you know, just, just talking about the experience of losing your hearing versus what it means to lose your hearing and what it means to be able to hear and how that adds or detracts from the human experience. That's what we're after when we're talking about the resonance that we're after. I mean, we're talking about why this is important. 
let's think about how decisions are made. We now know, we used to think that decisions were all made from logic and facts. And if you just presented those facts in a logical order and clear, clearly communicate them, that jurors or anyone else would go with that and believe it. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. Read anything on decision making. And we now know that emotion is what carries the day. I mean, think about this in terms of how polarized we have become as a country. People on both sides of the divide are refusing to talk to each other. And what do we do? We try to show the other side facts, research. Here's why you're wrong. And doesn't make a damn's worth of difference, does it? In fact, it helps people dig in deeper. Facts don't change people's minds. And if you continue to conduct your voir dire around facts and logic and cognitive processes, you will never touch what really needs to be touched, which is the juror's heart space instead of their head space. In fact, we do a lot of this in the voir dire studio where I, I train the attorneys to notice when they've taken the jurors out of their heart space and back into their head. It, 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 it reminds me when we were talking about the hearing and the conversation got really resonant and the whole group was gelling around this idea of shared experiences and, and favorite sounds. And one juror, highly cognitive juror goes, you know, when I have a question about, and then he went to this real fact-based thing and it just pulled the entire group out of resonance. And we do that, don't we? Ourselves. I've seen attorneys do it all the time. A, 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 a juror saying, you know, I, I was a competitive swimmer and then I injured myself and I was never able to complete my dream. Full resonance, right? She's really in it. She's really thinking about it. And the attorney says, thank you. Who else? And I'm like, oh man. Or the attorney will say, great. And how, so, um, so what did you decide to do next? Right. And, and takes her back into her head or how long did you take to recover? Did you recover? And goes into the headspace instead of saying, what was that like? What is that like to not be able to complete this dream you had? We go up instead of down. What do I mean by that? We go into our heads instead of into our hearts. And by doing that, we force the jurors to do the same. And let me tell you, when the jurors are in their headspace in trial, which they mostly are, almost every trial, because you guys don't know how to do this, <laughs> they will decide from their head, and that's how low verdicts, if they happen at all, happen. But when you get jurors into their heart space, when you get them connected to their own experiences and then show them how those experiences are very similar to the case that they're going to ha now have to hear and decide, that's when we get verdicts, that's when we get big verdicts heart versus head. But you guys, you go up into your, your headspace, into the experience. You pull jurors out of resonance on accident because you don't know what to be looking for and go for details and facts. And when did that happen? And how, you know, how long was that? And, and what doctor did you see versus what was that like? What's important about that? It changes the, the feel of the room. We talk about the three levels of listening. I also have an episode on that. I think it is called the three levels of listening. Level one, being in your own head. Level two, really listening to the juror or anyone else. And level three, listening to what's not being said, what's in the room, what's happening out there, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So when you are listening to the juror in your level two, 
You can also be listening for that resonance, that level three. But so often you're afraid of the silence that you pop in your level one, you go in your head and it pulls you out of resonance and it pulls the jurors out of resonance. And now we are out of it all together. We cannot convince people with facts. We have to speak to their hearts. And you know, I'm not a mushy, mushy, mushy. I'm all about strategy and, and tactics and, and clear communication. But I know as I sit here, and the best voidiers are the ones where, yes, we start with the issue, we're on target, we're talking about what we're here to talk about, but we, we, we have a deep conversation about that. Not a surfacey one about hobbies and passions, but a deep conversation about the jurors' experiences and what they find important. And then we connect that back to our case. So here's how to do it. Here's how to have the resonant conversations. First of all, first step is to be willing to do it. You have to go first. You have to be willing to be with jurors, really be with them and get out of your level one and get out of your 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 constant thinking and striving and making sure that no silence is going to happen and that you've always got to have the right thing to say next. You have to trust yourself that it's more important to be with jurors in level two and three, really listening and, and tuning into your tuition than having the next right thing to say. And when you're in that place, that's where you can hear the things that are resonant and then help jurors go deeper. You have to function like a coach functions. That's what I'm doing. I'm constantly listening and asking powerful questions in my sessions. You know, all my clients are like, this is amazing. I can't believe what we've been able to do in 45 minutes. And I've done nothing. All I've done is listen and ask questions. The client has done all the work. But it, it, that's what you're doing with the jurors is you're listening for what's resonant, what makes sense to them, what's important to them. And you're reflecting that back and asking them to go deeper. And as you do that, that's what creates relationship. You go back to the last podcast, we talked about issue versus relationship. And you want jurors to be in the relationship bucket when they're really in the issue bucket. You got to start with the issue bucket because that's where jurors are in order to get them in the relationship bucket. And the way they go there is through resonant conversations because they feel heard and they're talking about something that's important. And your job is to connect that back to your case and back to the principles we all believe in. So you've got to be willing. You also have to be listening at your level two and level three. You have to get out of your level one and be really focused on the jurors and be willing to experience silence because that's where your intuition speaks. You have to be really listening and farming for the, the things that they say. You guys miss so many of these great little tiny things that they say that you can play with and help them to go deeper into their experience. So you got to be listening deeply at level two and level three. And you have to go out of your head and into your heart. So often when there is a moment of silence, you will search I can see it. I see your eyes actually look up, which means you're searching your mental Rolodex for what to do next. Instead, you need to go into your body. Where do your instincts reside? In your body. That's where all your wisdom is. In that moment when you're not sure what to do or how to follow up or how to bring the client into more resonance, go down instead of up. Check in with your gut and your heart versus your head. Listen, your head helped you prepare for trial. You've been using your brain this whole time. Once you get into trial though, now you got to trust that that's all in there and get in your body and play with your instincts and listen to your intuition. Now this is, you, that was classical. 
You've been practicing your piece. Now this is jazz. We get into trial. Now it's jazz. We take all the, the things, the practice that we've done, and we trust our practice and our prep, and we play, and we listen, and we're, we're fluid, and we're flexible. Your head is not going to help you here. I know that's so hard for you to hear. You got to go to your heart and your gut. So go down instead of up, my friends. When you're in that moment and you just don't know what to do and you're, you're not sure how to follow up with this juror or bring them into resonance, go down, go down, go down. Breathe. Trust. Trust. That's how you have resonant conversations. You're willing. You're listening at two and three and you're going into your heart space and your gut, which creates a connection with jurors. Listen, they can't do this unless you do it first. You have to go first. You know that. I've said that many times. They, you cannot expect jurors to have a resonant conversation with you unless you're willing to have one yourself. And this is where things get good. Are you willing? You willing to go there? Because this is, this is where we win trials and we win the hearts and minds of jurors. And we're not, by the way, manipulating, trying really hard. All we're doing is bringing the jurors deeper into their experience. We are the conduit here. We are the facilitator here. We are not trying to force anything to happen. We don't need to force anything to happen. We just need to get curious about jurors and get to the meaning instead of the experience. The experience is the doorway, just like the issue is the doorway in the last podcast. All right. I hope that helps and we'll talk soon. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sorry Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sorry's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today. And until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.